it is so good to hear everybody singing today. It was really loud over here in Auditorium 2, Auditorium 1, and those of you online. It was really loud in here. I really enjoyed it. Now, technology is wonderful that we can do that. But if you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear all four of those pieces on the same stage together. Tonight at 5 o'clock in this room, they'll all be right here together if you're interested in coming back uh, for another worship service. Or if you know of someone uh, who may be looking for an evening service because of life and work and those sorts of things, we now offer a 5 o'clock service, which is the exact same thing as the 9 o'clock service and the 11 o'clock service. It's the same songs. It's the same people. It's the same teacher. It's the same passage. It's the same jokes. It's all the same things. Sometimes not the same jokes. We take them out. Anyway... If you're newer with us here at Fellowship, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Jason. I'm one of the guys on the team. We're thrilled that you are hanging out with us, and uh, we love the opportunity to get together every week and celebrate what God's been doing in our life and through our life since we were last together. Uh, That's how I always look at this time, and it's so good, in all honesty, to hear everybody lifting uh, their voices. It is our desire here uh, at Fellowship Greenville, if you're newer with us, to make much of Jesus and the gospel. Like That's our thing. That's our focus. That's our deal. And uh, just so thankful for the relationship that we have with him. Here's what we'd love you to do if you are our guest. You can stop by guest services out in the commons uh, after the service. Um, You could uh, also stop by guest services here in the back of Auditorium 2. We have a little corner where you could drop in there. That'd be great. And then if you're just interested in taking your next step of plugging in here at uh, Fellowship Greenville, then you can stop by next steps also in the commons, also in the back here of Auditorium 2. So I just wanted to mention that. There's two things specifically that I'd like to talk about. There, a little, there it is. There it was. It was just, go back. Go back. It was just right there. I want to let you know. There it is. I want to let you know about the membership class. Like this would be your next opportunity to step into membership here at Fellowship. And that's going to be next Sunday. April the 30th from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock in the evening. Dinner's provided. Child care's provided. Several of our pastors and ministry leaders are going to be there to share more about our church. And we would love for you to join us if you're interested in making fellowship your church home. You can sign up online. You can use the QR code on the seat in front of you. You can use the QR code on the screen because we're hip and trendy like that if you're interested. Or you can stop by Next Steps and they can get you signed up. The other thing I wanted to let you know about is baptism class that we have coming up because our next baptism as a church family is going to be on Sunday, May the 21st. But if you're interested in being baptized or if you just have questions about baptism, what the Bible teaches about it, what we think about it, we want to invite you to come to this baptism class Sunday morning, May 7th, that's two weeks from today. Our very own Jim Thompson will be leading that time and he'll talk all things baptism with you. But if you're interested in being, being baptized, come to that class. If you want to learn more about baptism, come to that class. Again, you can sign up using the QR code in front of you on the screen Uh, or you can go by Next Steps. Maybe I could say it this way. Our team here at Fellowship Greenville, they work incredibly hard to keep all pertinent information in front of you at all times. Really, and I'm not exaggerating, 24-7, you have access to all pertinent information at Fellowship Greenville. We have a website. We have social media. We have a brand new app. We have regular emails. We have a monthly newsletter that looks like this waiting for you each and every month when you come in. We have a weekly podcast. Did you know that Rob Marks, who's the executive pastor here, and myself just did a 30-minute podcast a couple of weeks ago about all things happening around Fellowship Greenville that you could listen to and go, most of this is boring and pointless, but there are a few nuggets 
that I really enjoyed being able to listen to. So tune in, listen up, read, stay plugged in. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them, you know the saying. Anyway, what we're trying to say is our team does a great job of putting all the information out there. And I gotta be honest with you, on a regular basis, some of you come up and go, I don't know where to find that. And we smile at you like we love you because we do love you. <laughs> but there's another internal dialogue going on and it's not pretty. Anyway, <laughs> hey, one other thing I wanted to mention because it's pertinent. Um, uh, a lot of you know um, the YMCA at Adams Mill has been in the news uh, over the past week with information coming out that they're looking to sell the property and the building to some, uh, and, and, and some people that belong to the YMCA, they weren't really thrilled about the leadership of the YMCA looking to sell it. And uh, multiple people have uh, reached out to us, both in our congregation and in the community, to see if we have heard about the reaction and the response. And yes, we've heard about it. Uh, and for clarification, the initial frustration in the community was not towards us for potentially purchasing the property, but with the YMCA leadership for selling it and moving everything over to the YMCA at Brookwood. But we're happy to let you know, this is actually kind of a cool story. We wanna let you know that there was a person who got behind starting a little bit of a, a petition asking people to sign it so that they wouldn't move. Well, that uh, person uh, went and met this past week with the uh, leadership of the YMCA. And then he came out of that meeting and he went back to all the people who had signed the petition and he wrote a really nice uh, paragraph, bullet by bullet, highlighting the fact that he is now for everything that the Y is talking about. And so he thinks it's a great move. And uh, he said, it was a, actually a really interesting thing to read, like what he, what he articulated and how he articulated it. So that was really encouraging to us. So what a thing. Um, we're still doing our due diligence of collecting information on what it would look like for us to potentially purchase the land and, and then renovate the space. And we're gonna be talking more about that with all of you during the month of May. So be around. You go, well, what weeks? Be around for all of them, just so you can hear more. It's gonna be an exciting time. Uh, today, however, we're gonna take the rest of our time to continue to study for Samuel. And specifically, uh, we continue to look at the life of Saul. We actually only have uh, today and then next Sunday in this series. If you've missed any of them, you can listen online and catch up. Uh, but before we get there, I, uh, I read this quote this week from author Paul Tripp. I thought it was so good. It said this, corporate worship, this is designed to confront you with the glory of grace of Jesus so you won't look for life, help, and hope elsewhere. And I thought that was so good. It's just another uh, reminder of the beauty of our gathered times. I like to do that. You guys know I teach here regularly and just about every time I teach, I like to kind of hit pause and go, hey, let's remember why we're together today, that we're not just doing something because it's time to do something. Not Sunday at 11, so obviously there are church services everywhere. Like there's a purpose behind our gathered times together. I think God knows how easily we forget him, how quick we are to let the stresses of this life lead us to a place of complaining, pouting, envy, anger. I do believe he knows that we're often discouraged and more enamored and captivated by ourselves than by Jesus. So the beauty and the necessity of walking into this space together to remember who God is, who we are now that we are in Christ, to remember his grace, that this gathering, listen, this gathering in and of itself is his kindness and grace. I think it's just really important to the recalculating, 
recalibrating our hearts and our minds around the glory of the grace of Jesus. And so to that end, I want to pray as we begin our time today in the word. I want to pray Psalm 34 over us. The first 10 verses as we open up the word together, be reminded where our true hope is found. So pray with me as I pray this over us. Actually, the words will be on the screen if you're interested in following along there as our opening prayer. This is what it says. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him, they will have all that they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Amen and amen. Quick question to start our time today. How many of you, on show of hands, and I know I'm not over in Auditorium One, so I'm not gonna see them, but the people who are sitting beside you might wanna know. And if you're watching online, if you're by yourself at home, a little awkward, but if your family's in the living room with you, feel free to raise your hand um, so that they know. Uh, how many of you are movie-going people? Show of hands, put them up, yeah. I'm not, I'm not talking about like you like watching a movie at home. I'm talking take out a small mortgage and go to the movies. <laughs> How many of you are those people? Okay, good, gotcha. Um, how many of you are not movie-going people? Yeah, this was the same also as the nine o'clock service. How many of you are maybe, I'm a go-to-the-movie person, but I'm pretty selective in what I, there you go, that's right, that's me. It's very rare that I'm gonna take the time or the money, maybe two movies a year, and only if they are suggested by two people in my life do I even go. Kyle, who is my brother-in-law, and Matt Rexford, who is my best friend. Uh, because they know, they know, they know what kind of movie that I would enjoy seeing. And so I just wanna say this, I know I'm newer uh, here. I don't care if you tell me it's the best movie you've ever seen and I need to go see it. I wanna let you know right now, I'm not gonna go see it, okay? <laughs> we can talk about some other stuff. I love that you love the movies. You do you, you do your thing, I'm all for it. But I'm not gonna go see the movie that you tell me to go and see. Uh, I did that whole thing when I was young and dumb. And I would be sitting there and watching and thinking, whoever suggested this to me doesn't know me. Judge Dredd is not a good movie. Sylvester Stallone, 1995. All of that to say, if I am headed to the movies, it needs to be, here's my criteria, just so you know. It needs to be an action thriller, suspenseful, but not too suspenseful because God doesn't want you to be scared. Listen in on this. This might be all you get out of the message today. <laughs> perfect love drives out all fear. You're perfectly loved in Jesus. Don't go see horror movies. All right, there it was. Just kidding. I know some of you love that's your thing, whatever. Uh, it needs to be my, my choice is like a spy adventure mystery. Basically the Jason Bourne series of movies. Like that's my speed. Not the movie speed, Keanu Reeves, 1994, also dumb. Uh, yeah. 
And you might wonder why I'm even talking about action thriller, suspenseful adventure movies, because 1 Samuel 19, where we are today, it kicks off, it is a crazy story. It's all about a king attempting to murder the future king, who is also his son-in-law, right? And in a multitude of ways, his murderous plans are thwarted by his own son and his own daughter, who is the future king's wife. And it's not a movie, it's real life. But if it were a movie, Kyle and Matt would tell me to go see it, and I would, and I would love it. This is a fascinating story. So turn in your Bibles, 1 Samuel 19, and as you do, I wanna give you a little bit of an update on what has happened in our story between where Jim left off last week, 1 Samuel 15, it was a fantastic message on obedience, if you missed it, and where I'm picking up today, which is 1 Samuel 19, because here's the deal. Next spring, we're gonna be coming back to this royalty series and look at the life of David. Like that's the next king that we begin to read about here in 1 Samuel 16 and 17 and 18 and today in chapter 19. But we're still focused on Saul, primarily, not David, for a few more weeks. So what I need to do, which is a little bit of a challenge, but I like a good challenge when I'm working on a sermon. I wanna give a little bit of a snapshot and just let you know, I'm gonna give a snapshot of 16, 17 and 18 and I'll let you know we're gonna come back and we're gonna unpack those snapshots more next spring when David is our focus. Does that sound good? All right, just wanted to let you know where we were headed. We're, uh, chapter 16, we're not exactly sure how long the gap is between where chapter 15 ends and where Saul, uh, where Saul is rejected as king and the beginning of chapter 16, where Samuel anoints David as the new king. The Lord tells Samuel to go anoint a new king and Samuel's a little bit scared because Saul might kill him if he hears about it. But Samuel obeys the Lord because if you remember, even from last week, there was a great nugget of truth that we talked about. Complete understanding isn't a prerequisite for true obedience. So Samuel goes and he anoints David as the new king. And it says in chapter 16 that the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And also in chapter 16, right after that, we're told that the spirit of the Lord had left Saul and that he is afflicted by an evil spirit. And Right there, you even begin to see a lot of the contrast that we'll unpack over time between David and Saul. Now, in regards to this evil spirit, back in the day, music was often the recommendation when an evil spirit was afflicting someone. And Saul's servants suggest to him, hey, maybe someone should come play some music for you. And he's totally for it. He says, go find me a good musician. Guess who happens to be a pretty good musician? That's right, David. He played the lyre. Are you familiar with the lyre? Think uh, smaller than a harp. Both hands needed to be able, I don't know if this is actually how you play it. Both hands <laughs> needed to play. It's basically a lap harp. Anyway, and I probably offended both of you, anybody in the room that plays the lyre or the harp by saying that it's a lap harp. So if you are a lyre player or a harp player, my apologies if it's really not a lap harp. Uh, also next year when we teach this passage, I'd like to suggest to the music worship team that we actually have someone on the stage playing a lyre and or a harp or both things at the same time. Just throwing it out there. Anyway, David shows up to play for Saul without Saul knowing that David has been anointed to become the future king by Samuel. And you know what else we're told in chapter 16, which we're not gonna unpack here today. We are told that Saul loved David and made him his armor bearer and his lyre musician on call. Chapter 17 we're introduced to a Philistine giant, real tall smack talker. Everybody is terrified of him except for David. Saul lets David face off against the giant that goes by the name Goliath and David kills him. More on that next spring. I can't teach it today, it's hard. But the quick flyover is important to what we're studying today in chapter 19 and I'm almost there, but chapter 18 is pretty important to understanding 19 and this is 18. Saul's, uh, this is not, yeah, it's 18. Saul's son, Jonathan, 
who would have been the next in line to his dad's throne, actually becomes best friends with David. Ah, a twist in the plot. Saul had loved David, we're told. Jonathan, it tells us here, loves David. And it also says in chapter 18 that all of Israel and all of Judah loves David. Everybody's loving David. But chapter 18 is where we also begin to read of Saul's jealousy and his envy towards David. There was a song that was sung by some ladies in chapter 18, and the song went like this. Saul has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. And Saul didn't like it. So you're saying David's better than me, right? And he started to look at David a little bit differently. From loving him to ready to kill him to actually attempting to kill him. In chapter 18, David is playing his lyre and Saul starts throwing spears at him. Get a load of this verse. I'll just read it and we'll come back and unpack it next spring. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day to day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I'm gonna pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. It's pretty wild, right? And here's just a reminder for us. Undealt with sin's a killer. Or as John Owen was famous for saying, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Saul had an issue, right, of envy when it came to David. And he didn't deal with it when the song started to be sung by all the ladies, singing the praises of David. And before you know it, he is either plotting the murder of David or attempting to murder David and we'll see here soon enough, it continues time and time and time again. Before we jump into 19, uh, I'll take a moment and speak to this. Oftentimes, uh, envy and jealousy, those words are used interchangeably. If you look up the definition of envy, this is what you would read. I thought it was pretty interesting. A painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another joined with the desire to possess that same advantage. And envy and jealousy aren't just here in this passage. Those of you that may be uh, familiar with your Bible, think about it. Cain was jealous of Abel. Esau was very envious of Jacob. You had the whole situation of Joseph and his brothers, tons of jealousy. Maybe just maybe, as we keep going today, maybe you recognize it in your own life. I get it, not necessarily to the point of throwing spears and trying to kill someone, but do you ever have the thoughts of how other people have it better than you from your perspective? Do you have a challenge of being able to celebrate the blessing of someone else when you think you should be blessed like they've been blessed? I mean, with the world that we are living in where every moment can be tweaked and manipulated and then posted for all to see, if you're honest. Envy and jealousy might be so common to you that you don't really contemplate that it's always sitting there with you. And as it sits there with you, it's constantly whispering this, God owes you something. Because I do believe at the heart of envy and jealousy is really that thought. God owes you something. Like you might think that envy and jealousy is with the person who has the things or the life that you wish you had. 
But if you believe that God could have given you what they have and your life could be better from your perspective, physically, monetarily, career-wise, with your relationships, if you believe that God could have done that and God didn't do that, but he did that for them, then your real issue is with him when envy shows up, not with them. God owes me. And I believe acknowledging what our real issue is and who our real issue is with is critical to dealing with envy and jealousy when it crouches at our door. And I'll even say this on the front end, not something that it's never there anymore. I think when the temptation is there though, how do you respond to that? More on that in a few minutes. Here's how Saul's undealt with jealousy and envy continued to play out as we just kind of walk through chapter 19. This is what it says in verse one. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'm gonna talk to him about you and then I'm gonna tell you everything that I can find out. So real quickly, um, what had been Saul in chapter 18, throwing some spears at David, turns into Saul calling a, a meeting of all of his family and all of his staff Come one, come all, come all my servants. And he orders them, kill David. And here again, we see Jonathan, he's watching out for David, even though, again, I alluded to this earlier, I'll say it again. Jonathan is the one who has the most to gain if David dies because Jonathan's heir to his dad's throne, not knowing everything else that's been going on, yeah? Verse four, the next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant, David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way that he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant? Now the Lord brought a great victory to all of Israel as a result of that? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. Verse six says, so Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed as surely as the Lord lives, which is typically terminology for making an oath, David will not be killed. After Jonathan, afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul and David served in the court as before. How about that? So um, here's the deal. Jonathan's real smart, diplomatic, a little older, a little wiser. Yeah. He talks with his dad and he reminds him of all David had done, not only to personally help Saul out, but all he had done for Israel. Dad, don't you remember? Like he killed Goliath, yeah, how can you, and now you wanna kill him? There appears to be some sort of reconciliation here because David is now back serving in the court. I don't know how excited David would be about that since last time he was hanging out, some spears were being chucked at him, but whatever, I'll come back, I guess. But it's really short-lived because look in verse eight. War broke out again after that. David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. So per the usual with David, he has great military success time and time again. And then verse nine says, but one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, <laughs> the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp. Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. Now here's the deal. 
Think about this. This is true. This happened. If I were David, I'd have been looking for where the spear was in location to where Saul was every time I was hanging around Saul, right? Every time I walked into the room to play some tunes. Hey, Saul, where are you? Where's your spear that you keep chucking at me? Yeah? And there's a bit of irony here in the fact that in the Hebrew, the same verbs are used to describe David attacking the Philistines and them fleeing in verse 8 that I just read here in verse 10 of Saul attacking David and him fleeing. David defeating the Philistines once again only to be treated like a Philistine and fleeing for his life as he interacts with Saul. Look at verse 11. Then Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill, there it is. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But Michelle, also known modern day Michelle, David's wife warned him, if you don't escape tonight, you will be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out through a window. He fled and escaped. Then she took an idol. She put it in the bed, covered it with blankets, put a cushion of goat's hair on its head. When the troops came to arrest David, she told him he was sick, couldn't get out of bed. But Saul sent the troops back to get David. He ordered him, bring him to me in his bed so I can kill him. But when they came to carry David out, they discovered that it was only an idol in the bed with a cushion of goat's hair as his head. And then Saul's like, why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? That's what he's asking of his daughter. To which she says, ah, uh, he threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. This is a total Jason Bourne movie, right? I mean, this is so good. For review, Jonathan, Saul's son, had warned David about Saul's plans. And now Saul's daughter, David's wife, she's doing the exact same thing. She helps him escape out of the window in the middle of the night. And it is the first recorded, I think, in all of biblical literature, the old fake body in the bed trick. <laughs> Using an idol that they had in the house with a little goat hair for effect. Isn't the Bible great? I love talking with people who think the Bible's boring. It's not. It's fantastic. You're a boring person. I'll just throw it out there. So Saul's soldiers show up. David's wife says he's sick in bed. They just say, okay, sounds good. And they go back home. And Saul goes, no, no, no. Go get him. Bring him in the bed. Bring him to me so I can kill him. And when they go to find him again, they just get a goat-haired idol. It is a classic Winston and CC mess around. Like it was brilliant. When Saul gets mad, oh, well, David maybe, yeah, yeah. David maybe do it. So he escapes out the window of the night. So good. Look at verse 18. So David escaped and he went to Ramah to see Samuel. Now that's gonna be about three miles away. He told him all that Saul had done to him. And then Samuel took David with him to live at Nioth. And when the report reached Saul that David was at Nioth and Ramah, he sent troops to capture him. Well, I'll just get him there, he thinks. But when they arrive and saw Samuel leading a group of prophets who were prophesying, the spirit of God came upon Saul's men and they also began to prophesy. And when Saul had heard what happened, he sent other troops, but they too prophesied. And guess what? It happened again a third time. Verse 22, finally Saul himself went to Ramah, arrived at the great well, Siku, where are Samuel and David, he demanded. They're at Nioth and Ramah, someone told him. But on the way to Nioth and Ramah, the spirit of God came upon Saul. He too began to prophesy all the way to Nioth. And he tore off his clothes and lay naked on the ground all day, all night, prophesying in the presence of Samuel. And the people who were watching exclaimed, what, is even Saul a prophet? It's a crazy story. 
This time around is Samuel who's saving David's life. It was Jonathan, this is his wife, and now it's Samuel. And this interaction here is a real interesting interaction. I think what we see time and time again is what, with all the soldiers coming to get him is you see God's word going up against Saul's soldiers and God's word wins every time. And that includes when Saul himself showed up to try and get David and winds up laying naked on the ground and prophesying. Author Tim Chester says it this way, the word prophesying is often used of a prophet giving a word from God, but it can also be described as a frenzy like you see back in verse 10 and 11 when Saul's prophesying and that included him hurling a spear at David. The idea of being given over to a spirit of misery and bitterness. So the implication is prophesying involves coming under the influence of a spirit that might be the spirit of God and lead to proclaiming God's word. It also might be frenetic loss of control given over to a spirit of misery and bitterness is what we see here with Saul. And it's interesting because I think we've talked about it a good bit, but I wanted you to see it. There's this downward spiral of Saul. But I think these verses that I just walked through really capture the downside of the ark that is his kingship coming to an end. Contrasted when we first read of him and his rise being king, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Matt Rexford back at the beginning of March, he did a message uh, on chapter nine of 1 Samuel where he talked about Saul coming and becoming king and being anointed and that whole sort of thing. This is actually some of the highlights of that. Saul comes to Ramah. I think we have it, there it is. Yeah, Saul comes to Ramah. Saul comes to a well and asks for directions to find Samuel. That's back in chapter nine, verse 11. There in chapter 10, Saul prophesies with a group of prophets. We're told in verse 11 of chapter 10 that the people marveled. Is Saul also among the prophets? And then in chapter 11, we read that the spirit comes on Saul and invests him with authority. Now keep that there and let's contrast it with what we just read. Saul comes back to Ramah. Saul comes to a well and asks for directions to find Samuel. Saul prophesies with a group of prophets. But people aren't marveling. People are joking. They saw also among the prophets because the spirit comes on Saul and divests him of his clothes. He's literally laying on the ground naked, a joke to people as they walk by. A humiliating fall that does not happen all at once, but as Charlie reminded us a few weeks ago, do you remember this message? I thought it was so good. One degree off over a period of time will really alter your trajectory. Which brings me back to envy and jealousy. I realize you aren't hurling spears. You're not so envious that you're plotting someone's murder. But the one degree could lead to lots of degrees. So what would the Holy Spirit possibly be saying to you today in regards to a subtle or not so subtle thought that is echoing in your mind? This thought, three words, God owes me. And again, it might not be the prevailing thought. You might think it's just about wishing you had what someone else has, the life that someone else is living. 
But it's so much deeper than that. And acknowledging that it's deeper than that is a step in actually seeing true lasting life change in this area of our lives. Calling it out for what it is. That's what I said earlier. It's like envy and jealousy could be crouching there at any point in time and it can pop up. What are you gonna do with it when it does? I do think the rise of all things social media has brought envy and jealousy even more to the forefront. I mean, what did we do before we spent all the time that we spend on our phones looking at everybody's life? I heard this great line in a country song yesterday. I just wanted to throw it in. It's not in my notes. Everybody's on their phone, but nobody's talking. That's real good. Write that down. That's a tweet. Anyway, If you have kids, I think you're probably constantly having this conversation with them. If you're not having this conversation and you have kids, be having this conversation with them. Especially if you have teenagers or whatever that are on any type of social media that are spending their time seeing about everybody else and what their life is. A few years ago, I was speaking at a summer camp to a few hundred high school students. In the mornings, they would have these breakout sessions and my lovely wife, Jen, she did a breakout session and the topic was envy and jealousy. And they tell you this morning, you can choose between all these things and Jen Malone's gonna do a talk on envy and jealousy. And I stopped in to listen and she totally crushed it. But the space was packed out with teenagers. Why? Because it's a constant issue. Comparison, comparison, comparison. I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I had. I'm not saying it's even more at the front forefront because Taylor Swift is gonna be here next weekend in Atlanta, but I am gonna say a lot of people got tickets and a lot of people didn't. It can play out in a lot of different ways. Here's what I've learned through the years of walking with people. One degree off in the middle school and high school years in regards to envy and jealousy, where it's not talked about, where it's not processed, where it's not repented of when it needs to be repented of, where you're not discipled through it. Let me tell you where that goes over time when you're one degree like that as a middle schooler and a high schooler. It becomes conversation after conversation that I seem to be having with people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. Struggling with envy and jealousy, not over a certain thing or person, but simply bitter and angsty about the life, the hand they were dealt because they really do think God owes me better than I've gotten out of this life. That's the conversation I have a good bit. Proverbs 14.30 tells us this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. The NLT says, um, jealousy is a cancer of the bones. Over a period of time, not dealt with, acknowledged, repented of, discipled through, envy and jealousy will literally eat you up physically and spiritually. Because with envy, it's not just that you're jealous of someone else and what they have. You're not just jealous of their life. It's that you actually resent them and the life that they have. That's how it starts to eat you up. 
when you find yourself constantly unhappy when people are happy, when you find yourself being happy when you observe people that you're envious of struggling, it's not the way of Jesus. And here's the, the one degree off that led to being way off. If at the heart of envy and jealousy is the idea that you think, I think God owes me, then guess who over time you aren't interested in running to anymore? That's right. The one who you think owes you and didn't deliver. And that end game is someone who's sitting there very bitter and angsty about life. Now, I've got some great news to end our time today because it's super quiet in here. You could hear a pin drop. I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, part of that's just Auditorium 2. I think I've talked about it before. Like when we built Auditorium 2, we put in some really nice uh, sound, sound panels in here so you can just really hear nothing other than my stomach. I think you can hear my stomach growling because I'm super self-conscious about it. Anyway, very different than Auditorium 1. It's just different. That's all I'm saying. Now, I got great news to end the day. The Spirit of God is in the transformation business. So if you're currently struggling with envy or if it shows up periodically or if your life is currently described with bitterness and disappointment in God because he, other, because from your perspective, other people have it better than you have it, the great news is you can change because the spirit of God in you allows your perspective to change and perspective is really important to life change. It really is a proper perspective it's the reason that doing life all by yourself is not a great way to do life. You need the perspective of other people, listening well to the spirit of God in your own life to shape your perspective. You, uh, with, with envy and jealousy, your perspective is primarily on uh, two things, what you think you deserve, and your perspective is also in the here and now. What I think I deserve, what God owes me, the moment, the here and the now. But here's what the Spirit of God, I believe, would like to do to regularly and constantly remind you in regards to changing your perspective. Instead of looking at what others have that you don't have and looking at the here and now, it's real simple. If you wanna jot a note, this is it. Instead, look at Jesus and look towards the future. Those are the two things. Instead of looking at what everybody else has, instead of looking at the here and now, Look at Jesus and look towards the future. And here's what I mean. When we regularly, daily, throughout our day, look at Jesus, we're reminded of the one who never complained about dying even though he didn't deserve to die. So that all of us who deserve to die might actually have life. We talk about this idea all the time here at Fellowship Greenville. It's called gospel motivation. And we like to get to it a lot because we think it's imperative. A proper perspective of Jesus, who he is, what it is that he has done for us, is essential to seeing envy and jealousy diminish, deteriorate, disappear in our lives. I've said it a couple of times, I'll say it again. It's not that the temptation won't be there. The temptation will be there this side of eternity. I acknowledge that. What do you do in that moment, in those moments? Like there's real practical stuff too, right? 
preach the gospel to yourself. I love it. You know what some of you have done to better preach the gospel to yourself? You've just gotten off all the social media stuff where you used to spend hours and think about everybody else's life compared to your life. Love having those conversations with people. That's super practical. It's also really good for you if that's how the Spirit's leading you, yeah? But again, you won't look there if you think God owes you. So I think being honest about that is a great starting point for some of you in the room today or if you're listening online today. For some of you, maybe it's simply asking the Spirit of God to remind and renew your heart and mind around who Jesus is and who you are because of who Jesus is. I started the service with, uh, with a Paul Tripp Paul Trip quote about corporate worship. I'll end one here on envy. He says this, you can gaze over the fence and covet another person's life or tell yourself that God has blessed you in ways you, could, you never could have earned. The primary and central blessing that you could have never earned is Jesus. So look to Jesus. And then lastly, look ahead, look to the future. That is, this is not our home. This isn't the culmination of the story. Psalm 17, 15 is a great reminder for us. Maybe you wanna write it down and keep it with you this week. It says, because I am righteous, I will see you. When I awake, I will see you face to face and I will be satisfied. I don't know your story. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if envy and jealousy is a regular constant thing, if it's an every now and again thing. I don't know if you've blown past the envy and jealousy piece and that one degree off has continued to be a lot of degrees off and you sit there as a bitter angsty person because you think that God owes you. The older I've gotten, the more that I've been willing to speak that into people's lives that I have relational capital with. Hey, you know what? You're gonna die a bitter, old, angsty person like this. And maybe that's the takeaway for today. For some of you, here's the deal. Here's what some of your uh, spouses, kids, parents are thinking right now. Oh man, this is a great, this is good. Jason's been saying kind of what I've wanted to be able to say to the people that I'm closest to. So maybe that's the takeaway for today. Are you bold enough? Will you listen to the Spirit well enough if the Spirit says you do this to look at the people that you love the most and say, hey, do I kind of lead? Do I lead with like bitterness and angstiness? Do I live my life as if God owes me something that he hasn't delivered on? You might not say it that way, but the way you're kind of walking through life. Would you be willing to ask somebody that that you love, that they love you. It usually goes better than just the other person looking at the other person. Oh, by the way, there's something I've been wanting to tell you. You're a bitter, angsty person. That doesn't go quite as well. At I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe that's the conversation that needs to be had. But invite that, like invite that conversation, yeah? Because as a follower of Jesus, I wanna remind you what we began our time with today as we prayed Psalm 34. Those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Friends, that is either a bold-faced lie or incredibly good news for us. I think it's incredibly good news for us. When envy and jealousy crouch at the door of your heart and mind, when you're tempted to think, God owes me because you observe the blessing of someone else. Listen to the spirit who is changing your perspective as you look to Jesus, not to other people's stuff.
other people's lives. And as you look to the future, instead of just constantly looking at the here and now, because in him and him alone, will you and I truly be satisfied. Will you pray with me? I'd love to give us a moment here in the quiet. We'll sing a few more songs together to conclude our time today, but would you be willing to ask the Spirit to show you? Maybe for you it was real quick this morning, like the Spirit's already said, yeah, man, this is, this is where you're living thinking that God owes you something. For others of you, you might have to peel that onion back a little bit, but the Spirit of God's committed to that. Do you find yourself looking at others in the here and now on the regular or looking to Jesus and looking to the future? Because the perspective changer has everything to do with the transformation that the Spirit of God would like to continue to do in your life and my life. Father God, you are so kind and gracious to us. The way your spirit shows us things through your word, through community with other people, that you want to continue to change and transform in us, that we would continue to make much of you in the places you've put us, that people would be able to see that a life of following Jesus is a life that's being transformed and sanctified for your glory and fame. So I just pray for my brothers and my sisters here at Fellowship Greenville today. Guests that are with us, maybe for the first or second time, wanting to know what we're about, we're about you continuing to change us for your glory and fame. That you speak to each and every part of our life, each and every corner of our heart. So in this moment, in the afternoon that is to come, the evening that is to come, the week that is to come, would your spirit be so kind and gracious to show us and point out areas of our life where we're operating from a premise that you owe us something. And in those moments, Spirit, would you be so kind as to point us to Jesus? What he has done for us, who we are in him. And remind us once again that we're not yet home. So you will satisfy us with every good thing that we actually need. We can trust you with that. In Jesus' sweet name we pray. Amen.